And now, now welcome into White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Get the fireworks ready. Here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. A little bit of uh, an abbreviated start to the show this afternoon as we've got some things planned. And uh, good Lord willing and the creek don't rise, we're going to get them here for you on the show. Plenty of things to do this afternoon. I think this show, this afternoon show, White Sox Weekly, is going to be centered around the Hall of Fame. The White Sox had a former, an alum, I guess you could call that an alumnus, an alumni. I can't remember what the singular is for, I think it's alumni. Go into the Hall of Fame, though he is uh, predominantly known as a member of the Montreal Expos, a Hall of Famer nonetheless, Tim Raines makes the hall and congratulations to him a couple of stellar years with the white Sox, and obviously incredible work with the montreal expos we'll talk a little bit about this year's hall of fame class a little bit about next year's hall of fame class which may indeed have more white Sox ties we'll talk about the news going on in and around major league baseball uh, mark trumbo getting signed by the orioles and uh, another oriole or at least potentially former oriole that uh, whose name might be kicking up some rumors and news and notes here and there Uh, A little bit of, uh, I don't know, thought experiment, perhaps, on the catching spot in free agency as well. But our schedule events, regardless, stays more or less the same. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You can also give us a shout on Twitter, at C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. If you want to leave us thoughts and comments and whatnot throughout the course of the week, we kind of call them on Twitter and get you the best of what people were asking about or what people were asking about the most, perhaps. And uh, and we get you uh, your questions answered from the Internet. Um, that's about it for the ups and downs of the show. SoxFest, though, is only a week away. You can join us January 27th through the 29th for a weekend of White Sox baseball. You won't want to miss with appearances from players, prospects, coaches, and more. Single and two-day passes are available now, as well as a premium upgrade package. Visit whitesox.com slash SoxFest for tickets and for more information. So this year, the Hall of Fame has three new inductees. And and really, by and large, they're not a surprise, at least I don't think, that these three guys going into the Hall this year are a surprise given where they were at last season. Jeff Bagwell gets in. His vote total went up about 15%. He pops over the 75 mark at 86.2. Congratulations to Jeff Bagwell. There is a White Sox tie with Jeff Bagwell that we'll get into in just a little bit, though it might not be the one, it might not be exactly what you think. Tim Raines gets 86%, up 16.2%. He had really trended uh, last season and the season before, uh, which has a lot to do with a guy we're hoping to talk to a little bit uh, in, in just a couple of minutes here on White Sox Weekly, Jonah Carey, who writes for CBS Sports and writes for SI.com. Uh, Tim, and, and I think it's a it's a really interesting story for Rock and, and how he got into the Hall of Fame just a couple of days ago. Um, his comparisons, his career, his contemporaries in baseball were were tough ones to beat out and make the Hall of Fame, uh, or, or to beat out to make the Hall of Fame, it seems, and some of the some of the ways, some of the stumping, I guess, as for how he got in, has a, a pretty interesting story all its own. And then Ivan Rodriguez gets elected on the first ballot. He's the second catcher ever to get elected 
by the first ballot. Johnny Bench, the only other catcher who was elected in 1989, gets elected on the first ballot. Yogi Berra was not. Roy Campanella was not. Gary Carter was not. Carlton Fisk was not. Mike Piazza waited four years. He just got again got in last year. I mean, this is pretty kind of a little nuts when it uh, when I look at it. And Trevor Hoffman just missed 74 percent of the vote for Hoffman. I think you know. And when we start things out, looking at Tim Raines' career, and, and I think we'll we'll start with Tim because it's uh, it, it, he's the player most obviously closely tied to the White Sox, having spent um, the early part of the 90s as a member of the White Sox, stealing a bunch of bases. Being that guy at the top of the order, a, a guy who's got a nearly 400 career on base percentage, a guy who has stolen bases, who had stolen bases more efficiently than even Ricky Henderson. That's that's what's mind-boggling to me, and I, I think what's interesting about Tim Raines' career, maybe more than anything else, is the fact that he played alongside the best leadoff hitter to ever play, Ricky Henderson. And it's through no fault of his own that he's not Ricky Henderson, Tim Raines. It's just he wasn't Ricky Henderson while Ricky Henderson was being Ricky Henderson. I don't know. That's a long way around to say he's not the best of all time. But the second best of all time, arguably, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame from my perspective, too. If you look at his career, Raines' career, and you just take a look at what was clearly his peak, the seasons from 81 into 98, obviously starting off with the Montreal Expos, came up in 79 and played again in 80. He came up as a 19-year-old and played in just six games uh, in 1979. He did not have an at-bat. He just ran a couple of times and stole two bases, was not caught stealing. A portent for what was to come in Tim Raines' now Hall of Fame career. Uh, A 296 career hitter, a 387 career on base percent. I'm sorry, that's the 12-year peak, or the uh, 81 to 98 peak. 296, 387, 429 the career slash line for Tim Raines. And I, I think what's interesting, and, and when you look at how he was eventually elected by the voters, by the Baseball Writers Association of America, is that this was kind of a slow plod over 10 years on the Hall of Fame ballot. Tim would have been left off the Hall of Fame ballot had he not been voted in this year, or would have fallen off, I should say, the Hall of Fame ballot had he not been voted in this year. You look at what he did for the White Sox in his four years there, 92, 93, 94, and 95. Of course, White Sox fans will remember that 94 season as one that uh, that what, what could have been, I guess. In 1994, the White Sox were first in the American League Central, 67 and 46. Of course, that season was cut short due to a strike. You never know what could have been for that 94 White Sox. That lineup was great. The pitching staff was there. Tim Raines and Robin Ventura, Ozzie Guillen and Joey Cora, Frank Thomas, of course, getting it done. Lance Johnson, one dog, top of the lineup with Tim Raines. Darren Jackson, old DJ, having a hell of a season. And Julio Franco there as well, the ageless one. Well, I guess he does age, technically. Jack McDowell, Alex Fernandez, Wilson Alvarez, Jason Bure, Roberto Hernandez at the back end of that bullpen, Jose De Leon, Kirk McCaskill. That was a dynamite team. And what's I think what's been... Listen, in 94, I won't lie, I was nine years old. But I know, I remember, obviously, the strike affecting my summer of baseball. It was weird to not have baseball on. I, I probably played a lot more baseball that summer than I did in, in any other summer because there was there was not enough to watch, I guess. Or, or when it ended, I, I still had baseball in me to get out of me. And I guess in playing it, 
Uh, I, I got some of that out. But in 94, you had that White Sox team that was one of the better teams in baseball. You had an Expos team in 94, which obviously Reigns was no longer a part of playing for the White Sox. But in 94, that Montreal Expos team was perhaps the best team in baseball. And I just find it weird that, that Reigns is kind of connected to two teams that you know we'll never quite know through circumstances outside of, of anything that they could affect. These these two individual teams, these, this White Sox 94 team and the, uh, the Expos in 94, through circumstances that they couldn't affect, they are just kind of left off the pages of history. And we came close, I guess, or at least as close as you could come, to Tim Raines not making the Hall of Fame and being left off those pages of history through really no fault of his own. And I think what's been fun about Reigns, at least from my perspective and the way that you know I've kind of grown up and, and understood the game and understood how uh, changes in information and attitudes have, have affected the way we're able to consume baseball on a national standpoint, even, even a hyper-local standpoint too, because I think when the sabermetric community got a hold of, and I'm using it as kind of a placeholder. There were very specific guys, guys like Jonah Carey, who championed uh, the cause of Tim Raines making the Hall of Fame. But when the numbers nerds, quote-unquote, got a chance to be a little bit more, more vociferous over the last handful of years, whether it be you know through the Internet or through Twitter, you know, just being able to put their stuff or really put Tim Raines' stuff more in front of Hall of Fame voters, more, you know, be more consistent with it, I guess, maybe a, a good way of putting it. Be more, be louder, I guess. Then you saw the Tim Raines numbers, the votes start to pop up some. And I think that, as much as maybe anything else, is a huge reason why Reigns finally got in, in his last turn. I mean, there's no look at you. Look at what he was able to do. He Tim Raines' career production mirrors very closely that of Tony Gwynn. The the WAR numbers, the offensive numbers, the overall production by runs, by wins against wins over replacement, all that stuff is it's nearly identical to Tony Gwynn, who I think a lot of people look at and go, all right, done deal. Tony Hall of Fame, obviously a Hall of Famer. My God, I mean. He's in videos talking hitting with Ted Williams. He wrote a book which was essentially, and I've read them both, essentially the sequel to the Ted Williams art hitting book. I mean, that's the kind of, I mean, when you're so synonymous with the science and art of hitting as Tony Gwynn was, I think it's pretty clear that you've, A, obviously done enough in Major League Baseball and in your career to be voted into the Hall of Fame. And I think, two, You've got the reputation and the kick and the flash to be in the Hall of Fame. And I'm not saying that you have to have those things, but I think, you know, as we go through the seasons of voting, I think as you see, you know, some guys fall off, some guys stay on, some guys, you know, toe that line really closely. I'm, I'm thinking of guys, you know, uh, like Jack Morris. I'm thinking of guys like Ron Santo, who uh, took forever to get into the Hall of Fame. Guys who kind of are right up against the, I know a lot of people like to call it the Hall of Very Good versus the Hall of Fame. Um, I, we're we're kind of talking about a guy in Tony who had both going for him. But if you're going to tell me that Tim Raines 
helped his teams win as much as often and with um, the same kind of regularity as Tony Gwynn did? Count me in, Hall of Famer. And it's just nice to see some of the hard work from Tim, obviously. I mean, his career, unfortunately, didn't speak for itself. But that has there are a lot of reasons as to why. Um, I think, you know, fascination with some stats that don't necessarily tell the tale of a Major League Baseball player. I mean, look no further than Tim's 980 career RBI. That's not a typical total for a Hall of Famer. Yet, I think we've kind of found out now and learned now that RBI, while accomplishments in and of themselves, don't necessarily tell you that that player was everything that number would tell you that he was. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We come back. I want to spend a lot of time talking about the Hall of Fame today because there are a number of, obviously, it just happened. And as winters go in baseball, and though here in the city of Chicago, we've got a day on which, I mean, my goodness, it's almost 60 degrees out. You could play some hardball right now if you could find some ground that was dry enough. But on a day where we're, you know, a week away from Sox Fest, drumming up some excitement, waiting for a little bit of news uh, with, with the White Sox, as we have been for a couple of weeks, why not spend a little time Talking about baseball's Hall of Fame, I know it uh, stirs up some conversation. You're welcome to join it, 312-591-8900. You can hit us up on Twitter, at C1McKnight. And the question is this, and it is thus, and pretty easy. What do you think of Jeff Bagwell, Tim Raines, and Yvonne Rodriguez getting into the Hall of Fame? Two aren't without controversy, and perhaps we'll get into that side of the story next on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we uh, spent the first couple of minutes talking about Tim Raines, former White Sox, but of course the Montreal Expo first and foremost, making it into the Hall of Fame. We figured we'd reach out to a guy who uh, who helped get in there. It's our pleasure to congratulate former White Sox Tim Raines on a Hall of Fame career. And to that end, we uh, welcome to the show a man who helped get his candidate elected without the help of a foreign government. It's Jonah Carey of CBS Sports and SI Jonah, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate the time. Oh, good. We're making subversive political statements right off the top. That's oh, yeah, I figured get those out of the way. Just Let's just barrel past those and then move sure. on with the baseball, right? What better way to yes, do sir. it? Seriously, those congrats. I've been reading your stuff on Tim Raines for quite a while. You're a heck of a writer, if I don't mind saying so. And you had a pretty damn good case, right? I mean, that's. I imagine that helped. Tim Raines' career, for whatever reason, didn't speak for itself, and it needed a little bit of help. wonder why. Well, it's... Well, it's funny. There, there's a couple things going on. Number one is the analytical case, and I think that's kind of what I've become known for. I wrote for Baseball Prospectus, and I am an analytical kind of writer, and, and that's all fine. And, you know, just the shortened version of this is Reigns didn't have 3,000 hits. Okay, but we can look at walks in addition to hits, and when you combine hits and walks, he reached base more times than Tony Gwynn and Roberto Clemente and Mike Schmidt and Harmon Killebrew and Brooks Robinson and Eddie Matthews and Roberto Alomar and wonderful player. Also, only five guys that ever stolen 800 bases four were in the Hall of Fame, Reigns wasn't, and he got in and is the highest percentage success rate of all time in addition to uh, 800 dates stolen bases. That's the analytical side. It's funny, though, because like you said, oh, he needs an extra nudge or whatever. I think that that's because he played his best years in Montreal. Mm. There's a, there are some voters who will use, you know, oh, war or times on base or batting. I don't care about any of that stuff. I only care about the eye test. Dude, the eye test is more compelling than the analytical test with Tim Reigns. Tim Reigns was a BAMF. He was a very exciting, dynamic, incredible player who, you know, if he get on base 
40,000 people knew exactly what was going to happen. Everybody knew, and nobody could do a darn thing about it. He was just an incredible, electrifying player. The thing that stood out for me was at Old Olympic Stadium, they had this electronic scoreboard, very low-tech, and every time a pitcher would throw over to first base, a cartoon chicken would come on the, on the scoreboard and go, buck, 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 and Reigns would make pitchers throw over 10 times, so they would go, buck, 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 a bunch. He, like, it was the most entertaining viral meme of a ball player of all time in my release in my lifetime and and for whatever reason just wasn't appreciated as such because by the time people got wind of him he was a white soccer he was a yankee and he was still good but not that good i wonder how much playing alongside or, or being a contemporary of ricky henderson had to do with with tim Raines having to wait as long as he did too because as as good as Raines was and and, and his career is a hall of fame now as as a yeah. leadoff hitter he did have to do it against ricky henderson in some yeah. respects yeah, there's no question about that. You know, it's funny, the, the piece that I come back to, there's, you want to look at how guys were appreciated in their prime, in addition to numbers or whatever, and Peter Gammons, who's the dean of baseball writing, wrote a piece in the mid-'80s for Sports Illustrated, and Ricky Henderson and Tim Raines were both in the piece, and they were treated as peers, because when Raines was at his best, at the absolute height of his powers, he really was quite similar to Ricky. The deal with Ricky is that Ricky remained awesome for like 15, 20 years. Reigns was awesome for seven and quite good for 10 and then kind of hanging on for a couple more. So that, that's what we're really talking about here. But, you know, at the height of their powers, it's certainly true. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Ricky, you take the whole career, not just the peak. He's one of the 10, 12, 15 best ball players of all time. So I think that comparison hurt a little bit. Uh, they certainly were contemporaries. Ricky had flashier counting stats. You know, Reigns had this great success rate, sure. but he wouldn't go willy-nilly. Ricky stole 130 bases in one season. And, uh, you know, it was still made it more times than not, but he wasn't stealing it at 85 or 90% clip. It was more like 70-something. And so, yeah, you know, Ricky was a, a dynamic and, and better player than Reigns, quite frankly. Uh, but I think that, you know, Reigns kind of got the short end of it because of the comps of Ricky, because of the Montreal thing, and maybe he didn't quite rack up uh, the, the, whoa, look at that number, uh, kind of stats the way that Ricky did. I wonder, you know, looking back at the, the 1987 MVP award, which ended up going to Andre Dawson, and I believe, yeah, that was his the, the last place Cubs, and he ends up winning himself an MVP. Had a good year, not a great year. Tim Raines finishes seventh in that MVP voting. And I know, you know, for people familiar with, with your stuff as, as a mantra, as growing up an Expos fan, I wonder what 87 did to you as, as a baseball fan, seeing Andre win it, but seeing Tim Raines get underappreciated in not winning it. Well, I think that especially your younger listeners might not know the whole story of how any of that came to be. There was collusion in Major League Baseball in the mid-'80s. The owners basically got together and said, we're not going to pay these guys. They're going to become free agents, and we're all going to agree to tamp down salaries. And the two guys by a mile, by a mile, who were the most hurt by that were co-exposed uh, players and, in fact, best friends, Tim Raines and Andre Dawson. They both come on the market at the same time. Raines is right in the heart of his career. Dawson is, you know, pretty much right there as well. And they don't get a sniff, man, like nothing, They're not even offers. If they, somebody's kind of like, uh, you know, throwing a token at them, it'll be like half of what they made last year. Think about half of Bryce, Bryce Harper becomes a free agent now, and they offer him $4 million a year. So oh, God. Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's what we're talking about, basically. So that's basically what it was. So two things, different things happen. Dawson, this is true, goes to Cubs spring training with his agent, sits down with, I think it was Dallas Green at the time, mm -hmm. and says, Give me any amount that you want, and I will play for you. Here's a blank contract. You put the number on it. They signed it for $500,000, which even when you adjust for inflation, is still preposterous. And then he won the MVP for $500,000. That's exactly really? how I got my job here, actually. I just I gave him a blank piece of paper. and was like, yeah, hey, whatever you need, I'll do it.
Well, listen, if they gave you $500,000, more power to you. They did not. They did not. They did not. But Reigns, you know, got screwed more in a sense because he didn't sign with another team. He waited too long. So he ended up re-signing with the Expos because of this obscure loophole clause. He had to sit out the first month of the season. So the dude is practicing with a high school team. He doesn't even get, like, proper training or anything like that. He sits out. First game back is May 2nd, 1987. It is the game of the week with Vin Scully calling the game. And for the Expos, that was like a lunar clip that never happened. But he's playing on the game of the week, Vince Kelly, and that was the big deal in baseball. It was a Saturday game. He's in the cage. He's told me this before. We've become friendly. He's in the batting cage. He couldn't hit the ball out of the cage. It's the most nervous he's ever been in his life, including his major league debut. He's been sitting out. He's what? He's colluded against. The world is against him. Facing David Cohn, one of the nastiest pitchers who's really ever lived, on a defending cha- against a defending champion, New York Mets at Chase Stadium. First pitch he sees, he triples. Then he singles twice. He walks. He gets to the tenth inning. He's facing Jesse Orozco, one of the best closers in baseball. The bases loaded, gets a 1-0 count, and hits a grand slam into the bullpen with Vin Scully calling it. It was an absolutely surreal moment and just showed you that no matter what people threw against Reigns, and the guy suffers with lupus and collusion and all and trades and weirdness and, and all kinds of stuff, he persevered and was just a great player who would rise to the occasion. All this after coming off a 1986 in which he led the league with a 334 batting average and a 413 on base percentage. I mean, that is a hell of a season to be looking for a job. Real quickly, John, because I know we all let you go here, but with with the way Tim got in, and also his his fellow hallmates now, Jeff Bagwell and Yvonne Rodriguez, is there, you know, now that we've gone to 10 years on the ballot, is there a shift in the way the Hall of Fame is decided now that you see more than any other way? Is there, is there something palpable that's shifted? Well, sure, because the, who votes has changed. And, and uh, it's been very nice for people to say, oh, Gary led the campaign and he helped this. Maybe. But the bigger thing that happened to me, objectively, is that uh, you, it used to be that if you were in the BBWA and you had 10 years of experience on the BBWA, you had to vote until the day that you died. They changed it. So if you weren't covering baseball for the past 10 years, mm-hmm. you were retired or covering golf or whatever, you were not allowed to vote anymore. And subsequently, in addition to that, you have people coming on. So you're getting rid of people who are maybe 60, 65, 70, 80. No disrespect to any age group, but they might be less progressive, less analytical, maybe more small hall. I only want Ruth and Mays and Cobb in the Hall of Fame. You got people coming on who are 34, 35 years old who came up with Bill James or Baseball Prospectus or Rob Nyer or whatever, and they're attuned to the newer stuff and they're, you know, don't really care as much about PED usage. Bond, they would vote Bonds in. And they would also vote in guys like Reigns and Badwell who didn't have the red letter. 3,000 hits, 500 home runs, but who were, by the slightly deeper metrics, obvious strong Hall of Fame candidates. So that's really what we're talking about, and it's going to change a lot of things. You know, the Rangers, the Bagwells, a guy like Mike Messina might have a chance. Mm. Uh, you know, who not necessarily, oh, wow, Mike Messina, the greatest player I ever saw, but, but by the objective standards of the Hall of Fame, he's there. But I think also, I think you will see Bonds get in. I think you will see Clemens get in because there's kind of a recognition that it's a museum in upstate New York. Let's not get too cute about this. The, the dominion of this museum in a town of 2,000 people is just to show the history of baseball. Put a pla- uh, ne- uh, asterisk on Bonds' plaque or a needle if on Bonds' plaque if you want to. But you cannot record the history of baseball without the greatest hitter since Ted Williams. It's just impossible to do. Couldn't agree more. Joan O'Carey, really appreciate you coming on, and, uh, and congrats. Big weekend for a lot of people there. Thank you, Connor. I appreciate it. You got it. Jonah Carey, CBS Sports and Sports Illustrated and really everywhere good baseball is written about. He is absolutely jam-packed this weekend with stuff and things. 
but he was kind enough to take a couple of minutes out for us to talk about Tim Raines, former White Sox, and, of course, former Montreal Expo. Just real quickly here before we get to the news, I know our producer, Justin Basic, is going to absolutely murder me if I'm any later. But in the, from 91 to 95 with the White Sox, Tim Raines was a 283 hitter with a 375 on base and a 407 slugging. That from near the top of the lineup almost all the time. He never had an on-base percentage with the White Sox lower than 359. That is, that's ridiculous. That is ridiculous, and congratulations to him for making the Hall of Fame. Well, a little more talk on that coming back. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It reminds us of all that once was good. The only church that truly feeds the soul day in, day out is the Church of Baseball. Now, White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly, on the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLS. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got you for another half hour or so. A huge thanks to Jonah Carey, of uh, SI and CBS Sports for joining us uh, just a couple of, oh, right before the 12.30 news. We wanted to talk a little bit about Tim Raines making the Hall of Fame. Uh, of course, Tim Raines, a longtime expo and a four-year Chicago White Sox, so it made the conversation um, pretty pertinent for the show, obviously. And I think, you know, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you honestly, I am not, I'm going to make this sound the right way, I am not the biggest Hall of Fame baseball guy. It's just not – it's not that I don't like the Hall of Fame. It's not that I, I am not interested in the conversation about guys making it or its importance in baseball. I just know a lot of other baseball fans, whether they're White Sox fans or otherwise, whose world revolves around the Hall of Fame and who's in and who's out, um, all that kind of stuff. I have nothing against that that kind of person. I have nothing against it at all. It's a It's an awesome and cool – honor uh, for players to have it is an awesome list to go ahead and look through it's it's fun to play you know the what if games with a bunch of hall of famers and guys who didn't quite make it or who are on the cusp right now but for me the hall of fame has always just kind of has been this thing that exists outside it is this ancillary in addendum to my already baseball fandom a day like today though i find pretty interesting in who got in who didn't get in and who's coming up? So I think that's going to be kind of a focus of, of conversation here for the next half hour or so. I, I know the Conver- Hall of Fame conversation stirs up uh, thoughts in a lot of people. You're more than welcome to hop in and let us know what you think of uh, of the Hall of Fame class of this year. Jeff Bagwell, Yvonne Rodriguez, and Tim Raines getting in. Uh, those who were left off the 2017 induction class, or left out of, I should say, Trevor Hoffman just missed, Vlad Guerrero just missed 15 votes uh, are going to cost Vlad Guerrero, another expo, incidentally, 15 b- votes, which uh, Jay Jaffe writes on SI is the closest miss on a first ballot since Robbie Alomar missed out by eight votes in 2010. There's another White Sox tie for you. Uh, Edgar Martinez was up 15% this year, but uh, did not receive 60% of the vote. Crossed the 50% threshold for the first time uh, he's been on the ballot for eight years. Roger Clemens went up. Barry Bonds went up. Both of those gentlemen write about the 55, 53 to 55 percent mark there. 
Mike Mussina went up just over the 50% mark. Kurt Schilling went down to about 45%. Now, a, a lot of these guys, before we get too far into some of the conversation here, and I, I, I'm going to tie this back to some White Sox stuff, too, with who's going to be eligible. And you probably, listen, if you're listening to the show, you probably understand who's going to be eligible for the first time on the Major League Hall of Fame ballots next season. I want to get into that class. And, of course, you know that class is going to be partly filled up with guys. I would imagine Trevor Hoffman makes it. He needs just a couple more votes. Vlad Guerrero, I mean, you look at the way, 71% of the vote, almost 72% of the vote his first time on. you got to imagine he gets in. So how big a class do you want your Hall to have? Jonah mentioned it, too. Some guys, some people are hall, uh, small Hall guys. Some people are, you know, it should be Babe Ruth, and that's it. I understand that. Uh, but we're going to get to a point where, you know, with 10 votes and only 10 years on the ballot, things start to change a little bit. The electorate, as Jonah had mentioned, has changed some, too. You can join us, though, in Glendale, Arizona, for White Sox spring training. Single-game tickets for the 2017 Cactus League season at Camelback Rancher on sale right now. Tickets start at just $10 per game with special promotions throughout the season. To purchase tickets online, visit whitesox.com slash spring or camelbackranchbaseball.com. That's camelbackranchbaseball.com. You can also just give them a call at 1-800-352-0212. I can't believe it. It feels like because when we have the Hall of Fame conversations, it's almost that and it's not a secret. We we have the Hall of Fame conversations most when we're farthest away from baseball or furthest away from baseball, either way. And, but but we're really not all that. It's the, the Next Saturday, we're going to be at SoxFest. In a month, we head down to spring training. Uh, I believe opening day of spring training, first game for the White Sox, or at least first game for WLS here on the station is going to be Justin, are you looking at the February 25th, I think, is the very first. Do we have a, a copy of the schedule, some of a master list that we're able to? I'm pretty sure it's February 25th is the very first broadcast here on WLS. Ed and DJ are going to be back. We brought, yeah, well, I think that's right. The 25th, 26th, and 27th. That's a Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday. That Monday is uh, a game against the Cubs. That first one, I believe it's the Dodgers. They might actually both first be the Dodgers. You know, they're right there at Camelback. So that's, I mean, we're, we're not all that far away, despite the Hall of Fame conversation that's uh, that's been going on. It's a good one, though. So when I look at some of the guys who have been left off this ballot, we're going to be coming up on other ballots. I feel like I, I should offer you my hot take, right? And this is not, it's no more hot than anyone else who has this take. It's, in fact, it's fairly common. And I believe the same way Jonah believes. I think that the Baseball Hall of Fame is a museum. It should be treated as such, and baseball's history, so much as it is, should be acknowledged in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. Jeff Bagwell made the Hall of Fame. There were, I don't know, rumors, I guess, the best way to put it, whispers, though Bagwell was never named on anything, any of the reports, whispers about his use. Yvonne Rodriguez had the same situation. Mike Piazza the year before. I say put those guys in. If their career was worth it, I say put them in. Barry Bonds is the best hitter to ever live, arguably. And I think because of that, he deserves to be in there. Roger Clemens, pretty much the same way. I'm a Mike Mussina guy, too. 
Kurt Schilling, I think, belongs in the Hall of Fame, despite anything he said, whether you like him, whether you hate him. A lot of people aren't a huge fan of him. But that career, I think, belongs in the Hall of Fame, and that's what we're evaluating here. All right, so I wanted to get into a little piece here. I, I want to look down the road some as we've got the uh, a couple of White Sox connections to the Hall of Fame coming up pretty quickly, and some that are going to be a little bit more contentious than others. If you look through, you know, Bill James does a really good job, and for the very first year this year, I've, I've read them before, but I've never, you know, purchased them as part of um, part of work, I guess. The Bill James Handbook. I purchased the 2017 version. It's got David Ortiz and Jose Altuve on the cover, which is funny because David Ortiz is a hulking mass of a man, and Jose Altuve is four foot five. Yet they're both incredibly good baseball players, and they don't—you couldn't do it differently. And I think it's fun, you know, especially as we kind of look at the Hall of Fame and just kind of look at. Uh, because as I'm kind of scrolling through this list of guys who did make it and guys who didn't make it this year, um, some are old pictures and some are very recent pictures. They're not all, put it to you this way, they're not all pictures of the players in their prime. The Roger Clemens photo is different than the, oh, I don't know, Manny Ramirez photo. Manny got a very flattering one on the particular website that I'm scrolling through. He's very svelte, albeit wearing a very loose, baggy Red Sox jersey, as he did. Roger, not so much. Pinstripes, which is what he's in here. The pinstripes fit tight on old Roger Clemens. I don't know why they chose that photo, but they did. Either way, you can get it done regardless of your body type in Major League Baseball. And I think that's one of the things that's so fun to watch, you know, as, as guys go into the hall and, and their careers are, are noted and uh, bronzed and all that good stuff. It's fun to see it. Anyway, next year, we're going to have a couple of different White Sox connections. And speaking of two guys who could not look different, more different, and who got it done incredibly different ways, and both of them spent a little bit of time on the White Sox, Jim Tomei is going to be eligible for the very first time, as is Omar Vizquel. You couldn't, I mean, it's almost, it's not quite the disparity between David Ortiz, massive hulking man, Although Jim Tomei is exactly that, still is. I feel, listen, I love bumping into Jim uh, when we're at the ballpark at guaranteed rate. It's always cool talking to him. He's always got time for you. You could not meet a nicer human being than Jim Tomei. I fear meeting Jim, however, because that means I have to shake his hand. And, and it's like a, it's just, I'm going, there are bones. You can hear them grinding apart whenever he shakes another human being's hand because no one's, no one hands are, are, are that. No, it's unbelievable. Jim Tomey is a massive, hulking human being. Anyway, he's on the ballot for the first time next year. So is Omar Vizquel. A couple other notables for you: uh, Chipper Jones, Scott Rowland, Andrew Jones, Johan Santana, and Johnny Damon. All going to be on their first ballot next year. And for a lot of those guys, I mean, the Chipper Jones is in. That's a Hall of Famer. He's the second-best switch hitter of all time. Maybe the best. Okay, he's the second-best switch hitter. Nobody's quite the Mick. Chipper Jones is the second-best switch hitter of all time, arguably. And that's the fun part about the Hall of Fame, right? You get to make all these outlandish statements, and then at the end, as long as you say, yeah, arguably, you're fine. You've given yourself enough shade to fly under. Jim Tomey's right there. His Hall of Fame rating. Fangraphs does a Hall of Fame rating. Um, Jay Jaffe of SI, who does some great work, does the, the Jaws rating. 
And that has a lot more to do with a player's peak, which it seems in Hall of Fame votes past and Hall of Fame votes present have a lot to do with the peak of a player and how good you were at the very top of your powers. Uh, Jaws, the Jaws score rather um, evaluates that a little bit more, a little bit more heavily than Fangraphs Hall of Fame rating, though they both do essentially the same thing in, in grabbing all that. Uh, Jim Tomei, a career 68.9 war. That's more than Jim Tomei and Tim Raines. Not by much, just a couple of percentages. Chipper Jones, an 85, 84.6 war. His Hall of Fame rating, 73.3 on Fangraphs. He's got a Jaws of nearly 67. These are these are Hall of Fame numbers is what I'm getting at. I could, I could keep jawing at you about all these numbers, but they're Hall of Fame numbers. But it's just a question of how many guys you let in at a time. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's preposterous that no one's gotten 100% of the vote ever. I think it's ridiculous that Ken Griffey Jr. wasn't a unanimous vote getter. I think it's ridiculous that Babe Ruth didn't get 100% of the votes. But that's the Hall of Fame class that we live in. That's the Hall of Fame world that we live in. And that's just kind of, you know, where we're at. So be it. Maybe... Now that the all, all ballots are going to become public next season or for this next Hall of Fame class. So maybe that changes things some. Maybe with, as, as Jonah mentioned, people who, you know, in the, if maybe you're in the BBWAA, um, but you're not, you haven't been actively covering baseball. Maybe you've been out of the game for 10 years. You no longer get to vote. It's kind of bizarre to me that you, you kind of had these lifetime votes. I, I assume some writers probably deserved to have lifetime votes as they kept up with the game, but some absolutely didn't, and we're still getting Hall of Fame votes. be fun to see whether Jim Tomey, whether uh, Omar Vizquel get votes, how many votes, they'll obviously get votes, but whether they're uh, shoe-ins kind of guy, whether they're a guy like Tim Raines who has to wait quite some time. I would imagine that Omar gets a little bit more love than you might think, but we'll probably have to wait some. And I wonder this. In an era where so many guys were either connected to the Mitchell Report eventually or just had those rumors of being a little bit too close friends with some of the base, with, with the Oakland guys, whether it's McGuire or Canseco or Caminetti or, you know, all the, the West Coast, you know, that kind of um, PED rage that, that swept through. A guy like Jim Tomei who... Everyone, I've never heard anyone look at him, no, he's fine. That's kind of like Frank. Same kind of situation as, as Frank. Almost almost zero, almost negative suspicion of those two guys. I can't tell you whether that's 100% true or not. I have no idea. That's just kind of the sentiment around those guys. And I wonder if that kind of sentiment gets a few more votes than maybe the numbers, although Tomei definitely has numbers, than, than Tomei's numbers might otherwise get. Uh, we got a phone call, 312-591-8900. It is uh, Dennis. Yes, Hi, Dennis. What's up? Hey, great show. Oh, thanks, man. I just think you're short-hitting on Eddie Murray. Eddie, ding, ding, ding. If we had a sound effect, I would absolutely give it to you. Eddie Murray is the correct answer for the other second-best switch hitter of all time. Yes, Dennis, you are 100% right. Eddie Murray oh. was fantastic. Wasn't it? I mean, switch hitting homers in the same game. Absolutely, and the man was the man was unbelievable. And if you really, if you look, and and we'll probably have to do it for another show. But Dennis, Chipper Jones and Eddie Murray's numbers are so tight and so close. Oh, I don't doubt that. No, yeah. it's it's unbelievable. But you're 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 absolutely right. And I do this. I almost do it as a as a thing, just to get the response. 
I'll go, you know, Shepard Jones is the second best switch hitter of all time. And then just wait for a very educated baseball fan like yourself to go, what about Eddie Murray? And you're 100% right, man. That's exactly the other guy. Well, I've been a White Sox fan when I was a little kid. Chico Carrascal was my favorite player. There you go. That's how far back I go. That is, that's a ways, Dennis, but we appreciate you calling in, man. Good. Thank you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. That's Dennis. He is, uh, he had the right answer. Eddie Murray, absolutely. Absolutely. 312-591-8900. Hey, sports fans, the Bulls Sox Youth Academy, the official youth training facility of the Chicago Bulls and White Sox, runs year-round basketball, baseball, and fast-pitch softball sports programming for boys and girls ages 5 to 18. The academy offers private lessons, camps, travel teams, birthday parties, field trips, and much more. Call 630-PLAY-BALL or visit BullsSoxAcademy.com for more information. When we get back, we will wrap things up. Uh, want to take a look at the the many years in the future, maybe like 10, 15 years out for Hall of Fame ballots. See if we can find any baseball players you might like watching. That's next on White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly, but not for long. We went long with the last segment, had a couple of good calls, and uh, now I'm left with getting you the information that you need here on White Sox Weekly. Stuff like the most popular way to follow White Sox baseball. It's with the MLB.com at Bat app. It's the number one app for live baseball. You get to enjoy live look-ins and highlights, game day scores, stat cast, live radio broadcast, and more. Get MLB.com at Bat on your favorite devices now. And you can join us for a fun season of White Sox baseball with your own customized Pick 7 or Pick 14 plan. Choose your favorite games and promotions. Enjoy savings off the individual game ticket price. These plans are available now. So secure your seats before individual tickets go on sale. For tickets or more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets or call 312-674-1000. We're up against it. Thanks a ton to Jonah Carey, CBS Sports, SI, all that good stuff for coming on the show. Congratulations to Tim Raines, former White Sox and former Montreal Expo, on his making the Hall of Fame. Congrats to Jeff Bagwell and Yvonne Rodriguez as well. Thanks for calling. Thanks for tweeting at us. And thanks to Justin Basic, our producer, this afternoon. We will be back all weekend long at SoxFest 2017. We start Friday afternoon. We'll take you through the opening ceremonies. We'll be out there all Saturday. We'll be out there Sunday as well. We will see you at SoxFest next weekend. I'm Connor McKnight. Have a wonderful Saturday afternoon. You've been listening to White Sox Weekly, presented by Miller Lite, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Listen every week for White Sox Weekly. And listen to White Sox baseball right here. WLS AM 890.